The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. This is God's word. His only fuel for staying up late at the office is a fear of failure. Her only reason for RSVPing is because she fears what it will appear like, what it will look like if she doesn't. The weight of one more responsibility on top of already having an adult parent who's sick and being short-staffed in the workplace. But she doesn't want to disappoint expectations. Living up to the pressure of constantly acting like someone he's not. She feels at every turn she needs to prove herself because she's not sure if she's really accepted in the relationship. She's not sure where she stands with her husband. Someone you know, and likely someone within a 10-foot radius of you now, is striving to live up to some standard in life, be it internally imposed or externally imposed. And as they try to live up to that standard, it is just not working. There, there is a decent chance that even someone you greeted this morning is exhausted, that they're frustrated, even, even devastated. Though, of course, you had no way of knowing that. There is a soul-satisfying relief available. And anyone can have instant access to it, and it comes for free. There's just one problem with it. This relief for what ails us, this relief for the exhaustion of our lives is far away. Proverbs 25.25, Janine Red says this, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. The, the context of Proverbs 25.25 is, is a weary army fighting abroad or, or travelers sojourning in a wilderness, kind of setting where food must be foraged and water is scarce. But at this point, they've just become used to it. They've become accustomed to this kind of living. And all of a sudden, some, some foreign and faraway message is brought to their ears, and it changes everything. It's like water brought to a thirsty soul. Now, most people we know are accustomed to living their lives out of autos, shouldas, and gottas. Most people live their lives out of autos, shouldas, and gottas. Autos are doing something because you think it earns credit. You ought to go to church so you can get right with God again. Or I ought to work hard to make up for my laziness. Or I ought to be nice and kind to this next person because I was unkind to the last person. Shouldas are regrets for not doing what you felt like you should. I should have exercised. I should have spent more time with my kids. I should have made that phone call that would have helped that situation. And goddas are doing something out of fear, right? I got to do what she says or else she's going to be really mad with me and really frustrated. And this is usually where most of us live our lives most of the time. Autos, shouldas, and goddas. And it's not immediately burdensome living life from that place. But over time, it begins to crush you because you're a failure. You're never enough. And you never know if you're accepted by God. So what happens? You just end up exhausted, trying to please him, trying to please others, trying to deal with all the weight of expectations in your life. 
And the Bible offers good news supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. By, by trusting Jesus, you no longer gotta fear. Because of the good news that God is always with you and for you. You no longer have to hold on to those shouldas in your life because his forgiveness is limitless for you. You no longer ought to improve your credit score with God because Jesus actually assigns you his credit score that he lived out while on this earth. But this kind of good news is in a far country, as the proverb says. It's not part of people's everyday experience. It, it must be brought near. And my friends, you and I are the ones to bring it near. You and I are the ones to make good news part of our everyday speech and so spread it to others. So we're going to look to the wisdom of Proverbs this morning for using gracious words. The majority of our words should be gracious words. We're going to look at what a gracious word is. We're going to look at what a gracious word does. Finally, we're going to look at who can speak a gracious word, okay? So what a gracious word is, what a gracious word does, and finally, who can speak a gracious word. So first, what a gracious word is. Proverbs 15.4 says that a gentle tongue is a tree of life. And this word gentle doesn't just mean sort of being sort of patsy with your words and mealy mouth. Really, gentle connotates restoration. And thankfully, we get this idea right at the completion of this thought in the proverb that a gentle tongue is a tree of life. What does he mean, a tree of life? Those are garden words, right? Those are Eden words. When all was right with the world, before sin came into the world. And what, the, what Solomon is saying here is that words possess the ability to restore to right wrongs, to put things right again. And God has always used gracious words accordingly to make things right with the world. So in the beginning, God brought order to chaos by doing what? By speaking. By saying, let there be light. And he spoke 11 more times before saying it was all very good. Jesus uses words to bring life to death. Lazarus, come out. And his dead friend came out. He used words to heal sickness. I am willing. Be clean. He used words to forgive. I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. So why is it when we're encountering another human being that a gracious word isn't always our first word? There are probably lots of reasons for that, but one of which might be that you don't know exactly what to say or how to say it. And when you want to speak a gracious word, you don't want to come across as saying something canned or cliche. I'm going to give us some help with that later on in the message. But some of you are are just very positive right off the bat. Your personality is like sunshine. And, and, And the first words out of your mouth sound like Jimmy Fallon. All right? You're awesome. You're the best. You're the greatest. You're unbelievable. Your movie's the best ever. And that is you in sort of a nutshell. And that is fantastic. But... I want to say this. I want to point out something. There is a difference between positivity and grace. And and if you look closely, our proverb actually suggests this, that a gracious word, a restorative word, has to not only be positive, but also true. Look at this, Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it, perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Does anybody know what perverseness is? 
No one wants to raise their hand at that one, right? Because it, it, some of us had the idea it's just that describes that creepy guy at university that we knew, right? And that's perverseness. But it actually goes far broader than that kind of perverseness. Perverseness is twisting something that is otherwise good and true. Just a slight twisting to something that is actually good and true. So you might be kind. You might be positive. It might be well-intentioned, but if your words aren't true, they lose their restorative power and instead break a person's spirit. So, so positivity is like applying a Band-Aid to a cut without cleaning it first. Just being positive is like applying a Band-Aid to a cut without actually cleaning the wound first. So, for example, we, we sometimes say to people in response to their, in a conversation, do it, hey, do whatever works for you. Right? And that works until the person finds out that nothing is working because they are broken, that they themselves are not working. Or another example, let go and let God, which sounds nice except that God often wants us to persevere. He's actually saying, actually, I want you to grow stronger, and you're weak in that area. I want you to grow stronger. So instead of let go and let God, dig in and hold on. Or people say, hey, man, you deserve it. You deserve it. When actually, the biblical text says something different, doesn't it? We, what we deserve is death because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. So we, we often end up encouraging people with half-truths that sort of cover up a wound without actually healing it. And what happens is so often a person who is encouraged with just positivity and positivity thinks things are going so well and never deal with the wound, one day looks under the bandage and finds out, oh my gosh, it's spread. The infection has spread, and I'm actually worse off than I was before, and it breaks our spirit. So what then is a, a gracious word? How is that different? A gracious word is any word rooted in gospel truth. Any word rooted in the good news about Jesus, which is this, that a perfect God created us to live in relationship with him. But all of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And so fails to live up to the standard that God has set, the standard of perfection. So God made a solution, though, because he loved us so much. God took on the flesh and the person of Jesus, and he lived up to his own perfect standard. He took our place, dying the death we deserved. He was risen from the dead, raised from the dead, so that he could prove that he alone was God and could forever forgive that big no in our heart called sin. So that those who trust in him are forever forgiven, included into God's family, and are restored into a perfect state in God's eyes. And this is what a gracious word is. Any word rooted in that, any word rooted in the ideas, one of my favorite songs says about the gospel, that holy God and love became Perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross, he took my sin. By his death, I live again. That is the gospel message. And every gracious word is rooted in that. We're going to come back to the idea of sort of unpacking that later. But that's what a gracious word is. Here's what a gracious word does. First, a gracious word attracts. It's attractive. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul, Proverbs 16.24. Now, the honey wasn't just the original sort of ancient Near Eastern sweet and low. All right? It was, for Jews, it was, it was rare. 
incredibly rare. Bees now, bees. We love bees. We need apparently more bees in the world, I'm told. But bees were colonized around this time when Solomon was writing, back in Egypt and Assyria, but not yet in Israel. In fact, if you look at all the references in the Old Testament to someone getting honey, they had to go straight to the, straight to the comb of wild bees, straight to the honeycomb of wild bees, put their hand in there, get the comb. So it was, it was obviously very risky and without sort of anything to cure anaphylactic shock. So very risky and very thus rare. And a word that is unflinchingly realistic but it's yet filled with hope is rare, isn't it? And that describes the gospel truth, that on our own we are worse off than we dared think, but also through Christ more loved than we dared dream. It's, it's, it's unflinchingly realistic, isn't it? That on our own we are actually worse off than we thought we were, but through Christ more loved than we dared dream, way more than we thought we were. That's a, a rare word for most people to hear. It's not one they hear during their 24-7 life. There's a sweetness about that that can get down to the soul of a person. So a gracious word is attractive, isn't it? We say, man, that is so great to hear. I I love hearing that. I want to hear more of that. A gracious word also heals. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So uh, an overflowing honeycomb is such a perfect analogy we should expect nothing less because it's God's word, right? But it's such a perfect analogy to a gracious word because it sort of transcends time and history. So for an Israelite, honey was not only a rare luxury, but it was also used as a medicine. Today, and to our all-natural, organic fans out there, you can seal this with an amen, honey can help heal a person. Some of you are like, I know that already. Whole Foods, I love it. Honey is now known for, for its antiseptic, antibacterial properties, assisting medicinally in things like acid reflux, in infant gastroenteritis, healing wounds and burns, treating allergies, fighting infections. And just as honey heals, it just has that cleansing ability, so does a gracious word. And there are so many hurts that need healing among us. Hurts that some of us don't, don't know that our neighbor is experiencing. Because, because there are parents who would never think of breaking their child's arms, but have broken their child's hearts with their words. Because there are wives and husbands who wouldn't lay a hand on their spouse, but have abused them instead with what they say. Because there are supervisors who've never once said, hey, that's super. We need words of grace as a healing balm to people's souls. And they can be. Now, many here have already experienced the the sweetness of the good news. They've been attracted already to the good news about Jesus. And and their heart wound has been healed by the truth that God loves them unconditionally through Jesus Christ. And you may look at a person around you who you think is strong in their faith, and you say, honestly, I don't need to say anything to them, right? They're okay. They're fine. What could I possibly say I would offer anything good to them. And you would be wrong. You'd be wrong. Let's read together Proverbs 15.30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And pay attention to this part especially. And good news refreshes the bones. 
Now, this is interesting. Our author, Solomon, why, does he, why not just say refresh the body? Solomon uses, chooses to use the word bones because he, he's experienced himself that a gracious word gets down deep to the deepest part of a person, to their bones, heals them, restores them. But not only uh, refreshes them, but not only refreshes, this word tadasin in the Greek literally means to make fat. So good news <laughs> that makes fat. Some of you are like, please, <laughs> stop the sermon right there. All right, I'm, I'm on a 30-day you know, diet, freshing myself with, with cleansing juice smoothies and things of that nature. I don't want to get fat. But probably the, the best translation here is, is something that you may have said to your own child or heard at your dinner table when you were a kid. And that is, a gracious word puts meat on the bones. You ever say that to your kids? Or if someone say that to you when you were a kid, eat up. It puts meat on the bones. That's the, what a gracious word does. A gracious word strengthens. Now, two of my favorite foods in the world, I'm interested to take a poll what yours are, but uh, two of my favorite foods in the world are, are Oreos and steak. Not just any Oreos. They've got to be double stuffed. All right, don't give me the thin ones. I want, I want more lard for my diet, all right? So double stuffed Oreos and steak. Both are, are very attractive, and both bring healing in their own way. All right? That's debatable. But one I know is just empty calories. One of them is it's totally empty calories, and that's the difference in effect between mere positive words and gracious words. One is empty calories that, that taste good in the moment. But, but the other, a gracious word puts, puts meat on the bone to strengthen us for the long haul. Gracious words nourish well after someone says, man, you're awesome, you deserve this. After those words fade out of memory. Gracious words strengthens for the long haul. There's a dear gentleman in our church who often likes to address me as uh, the pastor whom Jesus loves. And, and this is based upon the Apostle John's uh, self-reference of being the disciple whom Jesus loves. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. And I admittedly prefer when this person at, at first just called me Ryan. <laughs> Ryan's fine. Seriously, call me Ryan. But uh, I, I let myself sort of begin to embrace what he was saying to me. And, and here's why. Uh, one, I don't always feel very pastoral. So he said, the pastor whom Jesus loves, I don't always feel very pastoral. I, I, I don't love and care for God's flock as I ought. Um, I sometimes fail to check in and follow up with people the way that I, I really should. And, and I'm prone to seek for others to often understand me first before I seek to understand them. And, and so I fail. But even still, th- this man's sort of gracious name-calling, right? there's, a, there's a name-calling that hurts and that breaks a bone. And there's a name-calling that restores. And his name-calling serves as a reminder that God has called me by his grace to be an under-shepherd of his people here in this local body, this church. What this is called, guys, is something called imputation. To impute something on someone is to, to call something, to name something of someone that they're not on their own. On my own, I'm, I'm no pastor, I'm no shepherd, but God has imputed that on me. He has, he has helped make me into something that I'm not on my own. So for one reason, I don't feel very pastoral all the time. And secondly, I don't feel very lovable for some of the same reasons I just mentioned. I don't feel lovable, worthy. And yet Jesus loves me relentlessly. 
Not based on what I've done, but based on what he's done. So, so my friend puts upon me that which is not intrinsically there. And it's not flattery notice. He's not saying, oh, man, you're the best pastor ever. I love you, man. I love when you preach. I love you. Best, you're great. But none of that kind of stuff. It's just true stuff. A pastor whom Jesus loves. That does something. That obviously has stuck with me over these years. Guys, a gracious word can strengthen someone. It can leave an impression on someone that sticks with them years and years after you say it. So, a gracious word. We've learned what it, what it is, what it can do. Who can speak a gracious word? Look at Proverbs 15.30, the first part of it there. It's an interesting phrase. It says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And then he talks about the good news that refreshes the bones. What does it mean that light of the eyes rejoices the heart? This is the messenger of the good news who himself or herself brings joy. Uh, as one of the commentators I read put it, there's, there's something about the, the inward vitality, you know, uh, inward joy of a person. You can just see coming and it affects you deeply. To speak the good news then, one has to experience the refreshment of the good news deep down into their bones. So that it puts meat on their bones and strengthens them. And you can't fake it, right? As we, as we learned a couple weeks ago, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 12? That out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you aren't strengthening yourself with grace, with the good news about Jesus, you're not going to be able to really speak it to others. People aren't going to see the light in your eyes. They're not going to see you come and be like, I want what that person has. I want to experience the joy that they have and the love that they have. If you don't get into your, your hearts, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So who can speak good news? The one who strengthens themselves with it. So, so let this be a call to all of us to strengthen ourselves every day with the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to, to kind of walk ourselves through it as we live out our daily lives, to pray aloud God's attributes, all God's perfect attributes, his love, his sovereignty, his holiness, his patience, his wisdom. Just, just pray those things aloud. Examine our hearts and the day's events. Confess how we've fallen short of living up to God's perfection. And then meditate on the life and the cross of Jesus Christ where we can take refuge when we've fallen short. And finally, claim all the promises of, of the resurrection of Jesus. Forever forgiveness, life eternal, freedom from the bondage of sin, as we walk ourselves through the gospel, we'll be strengthened to share it with others. So, who can share the good news? Someone who's strengthened by it, but also something else. Someone who is a, a messenger, not a master. Here's our final Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 13. Like the cold of snow, and that's a good thing here in this analogy, because the snow is going to water the harvest. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Now, it's very interesting because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses almost just eerily similar language for the person who delivers a life-saving message. He says this in Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we, those who have believed in this message, it's up on your screen here, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are ambassadors. Not the king, the ambassador. So often we wander from the good news and and its reconciling power. And we display that with the words we use. So we'll flatter someone to make them like us a little more. We'll say a few nice things about it, even though deep down we don't mean it. Or we say something positive to quickly fix a friend so that maybe we don't have to worry about them anymore. We've done our job. As a book I read this last week put it, your words are always in pursuit of some kingdom. Your words are always in pursuit of some kingdom. Either you're speaking as a mini king, not as an ambassador, but as a mini king, seeking to establish order through your own means with your words, or you're speaking as his messenger, as his ambassador, representing God's gracious solution, not your own. You see that? So, so how do we do that in life? How do we do that in normal conversation? Speak a gracious word, faithfully deliver gospel encouragement, pass on not our opinion, but words rooted in the gospel truth, and do it in a way that's not mechanical. That doesn't sound forced, right? That, but instead is relational. So what, what I did this past week is I reflected back just on, on gracious words, gospel encouragement, both, both given to me or given by me and received by me. And, and it, as I reflected back, and it took a long time to think about all these things, but all these words fell into about four sort of gospel categories, incarnation, substitution, adoption, restoration. Now, it's not important you memorize all these things or, or even write them down, although you can It's not important to memorize, but I want us to see the connection between the words we use and their connectedness to the gospel truth. How are the words we use here connected to the gospel truth here? All right, so first, incarnation. That's the idea that that the truth that God came down to dwell among us. So here are some words that communicate that truth. God understands. Just speaking that into someone's life, that God understands. Why? Because he's lived here. He knows all about it. Here's something I've said to people. Hey, isn't it great that we know a God who was willing to take his own medicine? Who's willing to ask something of us, but then endure the punishment for it himself. for, For anyone who's suffering, what a great message this is. God was willing to take his own medicine through the cross of Christ. Or here's something I've also said, God expects more failure from us than we expect from ourselves. Because Jesus lived here and was subject to weakness and temptation, as the, as the Bible says, he knows what it's like to be weak. He remembers, and he expects more failure than we even expect of ourselves. So it's okay to move on. That's incarnation, substitution. This is the truth that Jesus lived the life we couldn't, and died the death we deserve. So he lived life in our place, and then he died in our place. Here are some things you can say to encourage people with gospel truth. Jesus already did what you could not. If you ever talk to someone who's just striving for perfection, who's just living so uptight because they're trying to appear a certain way, almost holy and perfect themselves, just to remind someone, hey man, hey lady, (laughs) Jesus already did what you could not. You don't have to Put on that act. Put on that show. You can breathe easy. Jesus died in our place. Jesus died for that sin too. 
Don't forget. Just reminding people of these kinds of truth. Or Jesus died for your dad. That sounds like an odd one, but that's a word I, I gave just a couple days ago. I shared with my wife, Katie. Uh, she's in the U.S. this week visiting with her father um, and her sister who just had a baby. But Katie wants more than anything in her life for those she, she loves to come to know and trust Jesus Christ. It is the heartbeat of her life. And she spent much of her childhood, by her own admission, trying to, to save and sort of rescue her dad by being always on her good behavior, loving on him, sharing timely words about Jesus and how good he's been in her life. But she got so into it that she herself kind of tried to take on an inordinate burden in her life. Every time she was with him, dying sort of a little death, just being in anguish every time, walking away. So the night before she left to go see her dad, I just shared with her a simple word. Hey, honey, just remember Jesus died for your dad. And you know, she thought about it for a minute, and she just, you could see her eyes just light up, and her shoulders just sort of, yeah, that's true. This is what good news does for a person. Words of adoption. Because Jesus, through Jesus, we are included into the Father's family. You could say, he chose you. Say to someone, he picked you. What an encouragement that is. Or you're among family. An elder in my previous church when I was an assistant pastor in Florida, anytime I would preach in the church, before I would get to preach and he was on the worship team, he would just look at me and smile at me and say, just remember, you're among family. It would always calm my nerves and ease my heart to remember that. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Or just saying to someone, man, I'm so glad that you came over to talk with me. I got a chance to share this with someone the other night at the baseball fields over by UCCI. Uh, Mason was having baseball practice. And an old friend who I who never went to our church, but I knew had just through his life been estranged from the Christian community. He, he felt left out and excluded. And I just sensing that in him, sensing that as he talked to me, I just said, looked at him and I said, man, I'm so glad you came over to talk with me. I'm so blessed by that. And you, he came back later and said, hey, thanks. It's really good seeing you. You could just tell it had an effect that made a difference. Because I, it, it sort of included, I wanted to give a message of inclusion. You're included in God's family still just because you messed up. Also restoration. The truth that God is making us more like Jesus every day, more and more every day, until the day he completely restores us. Just a word like, hey, he's not finished with us yet. He's not done with us yet. What an encouraging word. Or, or he has a plan for you. Even though things are hard, I know he has a plan for you. Or one of my favorites that I heard someone once say <laughs> when I was a kid, I ain't yet what I should be, but I ain't what I was. Because of the grace of God in our lives. <laughs> Let's go back and to close with our, our, our proverb here, 25, chapter 25, verse 13. If you notice, it's a very interesting reversal. Notice this. Like the coldest snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to, to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Now, normally we would think of refreshing, a refreshing word we would give is either towards the one giving it or especially towards the one receiving it. But no, this proverb actually says that giving a gracious word refreshes the master who sent him. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? 
And I think timely, because ultimately when we give a gracious word, it's up to the Holy Spirit to attract the person, to heal the person, to strengthen a person with the words we speak. What we can know for certain is that when we use a gracious word as our first word, we refresh our master. We bring blessing, we bring glory, and we bring honor to him. Let's pray together. And actually, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Rather than us pray together like normal, I'm going to pray over many of you who, who I believe need to hear a gracious word this morning. For those of you who have trusted Jesus, and you're just in a place where you need to hear a gracious and true word. So close your eyes. I'm just going to pray these truths that are rooted in Scripture. And just in your own heart, as I read these words, as I speak these words over you, just respond back to God from where you're sitting if this is what you needed to hear. You are gifted. You will overcome. You are not who you used to be. God will use your patience, your endurance, and your obedience and all the hard things you're experiencing. You are salt and light to your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, and your spouse. God has put a calling on your life. You belong to something bigger than yourself or even your circumstance. You are a pillar among God's people. And you are perfect in God's sight. Let's stand together and sing praise to the one who has made us all these things through Jesus Christ.